Today on Diceology, we're going west, young peoples, with Jason Lutz. This is Diceology, the podcast about tabletop games, and we talk to the people that play them. Today I'm joined by Paul Beakley of the Indie Game Reading Club and Jason Lutz of Lamp, Black, and Brimstone Publishing, uh, most notably the Perilous Wilds and Freebooters on the Frontier. Today we go deep into the West Marches. Jason has run two campaigns, West Marches style. I've run one, the Ma- Into the Madlands, Into the Madlands, and Paul will play uh, our every person uh, viewpoint as we talk about what makes a West Marches. How's it different than open table gaming? Um, what the rewards, the enjoyment is as a player, uh, as a GM, what do we get out of it? Here's our conversation. Uh, Jason, why don't you tell everyone about who you are, where you're from, uh, maybe a little bit how do you get into gaming? How do I phrase my life right now? I am a um, a teacher. My vocation is teacher. My hobby is comics, and my passion is games. I guess is one way I would put it. Um, nice. Com- making comic. I write. I've written and drawn graphic novels, and I teach a graduate an MFA program at a school for cartoonists. Um, so that's my day job. And then in whatever spare time I have after family and whatnot, games are the thing. Um, and role-playing games would be my number one choice of entertainment. So, you know, if I could do it three nights a week, I would, if I had that time in my life. Um, and I got into gaming 1978, D&D White Box. Um, I just moved to California. Of all things, my fifth grade teacher had just heard about D&D, and he kind of turned me and a couple other kids onto it. And that, that was it. That was the – that's what got me going. Um, and a lot of what I do now – Designing games, freebooters on the frontier in particular, is kind of trying to recapture some of that early feeling, as a lot of us older guys do. Yeah, no, that's yeah, yeah, that seems to be trending. Yours is the first story that I've heard about a teacher turning uh, folks on to D and D from that Mm. time. So that's fascinating. Yeah, he was a pretty hip. It was California in the seventies, and he was pretty cool, Mister Arbogast. He was he was pretty cool guy. Nice. And for the folks at home who don't know, why don't you tell us about yourself, Paul Beakley? Uh, sure. Hi. I'm um, currently a blogger. I'm a recovering game designer. Um, did a lot of work in the 90s, and now I write the Indie Game Reading Club and run the Indie Game Reading Club community. Well, that was nice and short and tight and everything. I like it. So, wait, how did to- you get into games, Paul? For those of us that don't know, yeah. Uh, so we're about the same age, Jason, because in sixth grade, I was introduced to D&D, um, whoa, I think BX, actually. And it wasn't by a teacher. It was by the teacher's son who would come in. And he was a high school guy. And high schoolers were busy recruiting, like, the kids. And so, like, okay. we were old enough to understand what was going on. Young enough to get way emotionally over-involved in their characters and my first wow. died, and I sobbed, and I was hooked. It was just like, that was it, man. 
That is funny. So we're all together today to talk about West Marches, uh, at least from where I'm standing. There's a lot of spiking right now for West Marches games, topics, conversations. In my hometown, there are two local game stores that have launched big West Marches efforts. How did you get to West Marches? And maybe we should define what that means up against like an open table game. Um, I would describe it, I guess, my interpretation is the GM sort of sets the play session dates and times, and then players figure out amongst themselves who's going to organize a party to take advantage of those sessions. So you offload a lot of that, hey, I'm you know, trying to wrangle everybody and get a game together. You say, hey, here's the setting. Here's the times I'm available. You guys figure out how you're going to come into it. And it's a, it's a consistent world setting that um, different adventuring parties kind of go out into and those different parties have um, can be composed differently depending on the players that are available that night. So you get a larger player pool in general, and as you kind of as they venture forth, they can the changes that they affect on the world, you know, other groups can encounter and whatnot. Am I missing anything? That's kind of like my basics. So is that the so the main difference between an open table and a West Marshes is the self organizing, rather than saying. People can come and go as they wish. I meet here every Friday at 6 p.m. for four hours. How is that different from we can play in any of these following five slots and whoever shows up shows up? feels very similar. At Open Table, in theory, you could play a bunch of one-shots. It's just whoever shows up, right? Right, right. Um, so I think West Marches, the, in the name, the West Marches was his original um, his original world that people set forth into. So right. maybe it's that persistent setting that's the main difference. Right. And that comes up a lot, open table versus West Marches. And I'm with you guys. I'm like, I think there's a lot of overlap. I don't know that yeah. Uh, yeah. they're exclusive. Um, the explicitly shared setting bit is important, but I think the yeah. self-organizing is also pretty important. Right. I also say that as completely outside of the West Marches tradition. I've never participated in one, but I've looked at maybe starting them up, which feels a little weird because I don't want to just follow along on the bandwagon, but as someone who's never done it, I like the energy that I think would come from people who are talking to each other and saying, let's go do this rather than me, the GM saying, Hey guys, let's go do this. You're yeah. just yeah. like, I'm removing, you're removing yourself from the sales pitch, which seems pretty good. You make one pitch and a bunch of back end stuff. You know, I've looked Jason at your Ardenville uh, discord and you've done a lot of work you have. in organizing that. Yeah, and you talked about what you did on my blog as a guest writer recently. So I thought that was very useful to see the lessons that you learned and then see on your Discord how you applied those lessons. Yeah, the lesson I still haven't learned is how to minimize my Discord time. The maintenance, when you have 30 players and they're just starting to get going and they start doing stuff in the Discord, there is a fair amount of maintenance. But then I realized this is why I'm doing it. I really enjoy it. Is it um, maintenance or is it like community organizing kind of stuff? It's like, it's like, you know, people will make move. People will do stuff with their characters in the discord. They'll do like downtime actions essentially. And some of that can spiral out into little mini dramas or um, encounters that kind of, you know, fold back into the bigger, in the last campaign I ran, a lot of the stuff that happened in the Discord ended up um, uh, doubling back into the play sessions themselves. So the the setting was pretty strongly affected by a lot of the things that the players did. So that off when I'm not 
actually playing, there's a fair amount of paying attention to what's going on there and trying to like keep everything, you know, checking in a couple times a day to make sure, okay, this, this person's going on an expedition next week. I better resolve this one outstanding issue before they go on that expedition, that kind of thing. So in that way, it totally increases GM. Uh, <laughs> sure, they're GM 24 seven, not just GM once a week. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. It can, it can be that. And I'm, um, that's the kind of interesting balance um, to try to figure out how that, how that plays out over the long term. Now, Jay, when you ran your Into the Madlands Kickstarter, was that meant to be a West Marches type structure, or was that a scheduled spend your ticket and play in your session? I don't remember exactly how that worked. Yeah, no, it was set up to be a West Marches uh, structure. I used the ticket um, because it was a Kickstarter. I needed a way, I need a pricing model for that. Right, right. Um, I think looking at what Jason does now and how I did that, I like that you say, here are the days I'm available, slot yourself in. I did it the other way. And uh, players were, they didn't have a set schedule. I would have ran whenever they threw something on the calendar. Mm -hmm. They didn't, right? It was a lot of me being proactive about corralling folks together. So to do it again, I like what you did is, here are the days I'm available. Um, And we can see that in the Discord, folks scrambling to get in the days that you are available. It's pretty full. Um, that's really the only distressing thing about it. You know, you want to minimize the amount of stress you're feeling as the organizer and mediator. But the idea that I open up six sessions and then within a day they're filled makes me feel like, oh, some people are missing out. Or like, you know, like right. I want to accommodate everyone. And this is kind of, can't complain about it being a popular activity. But uh, that is, a you know, making sure that the first timers get space in there and get a chance to play. Those are all. Those are all concerns. Do you ever run more sessions per week based on player demand? I have. In the last one, I did do that, particularly when um, a couple of times. So last last campaign was 40 sessions. Two of those were um, two. There were two separate kind of two parters ended up becoming two part things. And those um, uh, took up a little more, a little more time. But mostly right, it was right. what we haven't heard yet is your pitch for your current West Marches campaign. So like, what's the setting and what are you using to run it? Um, It is, so I finished up my last one, which was a kind of um, a lot of, it was a very collaborative setting where the players who signed up helped create the world. They they had some polls that they filled out and whatnot. And we ended up, it was a very um, kind of evolving customized setting. And for this one, I wanted less, but that involved a lot of prep on my end. Like, well, they've, invented this part of the world. Now I got to figure out some stuff about that part of the world. So for this one, I wanted less, um, have to do less setting development. So I decided to do it with a pre-written thing. And around the time that I was thinking about it, I think on the IGRC, like somebody was talking about Arden Vool, which is this thousand plus page mega dungeon, um, by much Barton, I think is his name. Um, yeah. And I'd never done a mega dungeon before, and it always sounded like a cool idea, but when am I ever going to get the chance to do that? And then I thought, wait, what if you do like a West Marches thing where there's this there's this place where you can all go and adventure and explore, and it's so big that like it's just like it might as well be like, you know, a region of the world. Um, world yeah, yeah. And then in my continuing effort to play test my game, Freebooters on the Frontier, um, which I used for the last campaign as well, which is kind of like the next step. There's another... Um, there's a new character class that needs to be tested out. So I'm up front with it. It's, it's a little bit of a playtesting thing, but the primary thing is, you know, 
just try to run an entertaining role-playing game. Um, and it's got the, the standard features of being a persistent world. Um, so far, the funnest part about it for me is like how varied the characters are. Like every single PC is like this incredibly distinct, unique. All, I mean, all the players, phenomenal group of players. They're just like all, you know, Jay being one of them. Um, all, all really like bringing it and just making things super entertaining. And also, I think one of the things, I guess one of the bullet points would be uh, character death is possible. Very real, a re- very real possibility. We got a couple people with one hit point each. Uh, so far no one has died but uh it is it is likely um everybody's just being super smart and cautious about it so far um, you mentioned you have 30 players or so on discord did you cap that or did you just kind of accumulate 30 players and that's kind of I just, where yeah you're... i just accumulated i didn't i didn't cap it oh, okay. um the last one kind of boiled down to i did like i crunched the numbers at the end and i think i put that in the, the post on the blog um there were like half a dozen that were pretty hardcore and were in right. a lot. And then there was like a middle tier of people who were in maybe a quarter of the sessions. And then, a, you know, a much larger number of people who played once or twice. And I yeah. sort of expect the same thing to happen now, except I am trying to consciously make room for first timers to like really try to get to cycle through people and doing a thing where every, you can't play two consecutive sessions as a player. So you have to skip at least one before you do the next one to try to keep that kind of, um, keep people cycling through and getting to know each other. Nice. I was going to ask about that. So do you set your sessions up to be kind of one shoddy? Do you ever like find them caught in the middle of the dungeon with no way out? Do you have to like pick up that same group and play for four more hours? Or do you just set it up where, Oh, you reach the end of this hallway and y'all go home and it's all over. now? Yeah. It's it. We run from eight thirty PM to midnight Eastern time. And at 1145, they we hand wave the trip back to town. Um, they have to pay the ration cost. They have to pay the cost in food. Um, and the only exception will be, and this hasn't happened yet. But if they do get stuck or lost, then they're stuck or lost. And the next time we play, it's it's not necessarily going to be with that group. It'll be with people who might go try to find them. Um, so you can, in theory, it hasn't happened yet. But in theory, you can. It can be a one way trip where you're stuck inside and then. I, I suppose those players could organize a session where the four or five of them continue playing Lost Inside the Dungeon, um, uh, or they could opt to roll up new characters and just leave those guys lost and have or have other people go and find them. But that's the kind of basic plan. So, so basically, it's 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 a sandbox in the sense that they can decide to go wherever they want. And at this point, there's maybe people have discovered three to four ways into the dungeon itself. There's a whole exterior um, as well. Um, and then they just, I asked them to tell me kind of where they're headed so I can do mm-hmm. a little bit of prep around that to understand, to read up on it. Um, and, but they're one shots in the sense that, yeah, each, 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 each session is called an expedition. And the, the expectation is you'll go out, try to accomplish something, see what you get, and then run back home at 1145. You're nicer than me. I give them that same 15 minute warning, but there's a table. And if you're still in the dungeon, then we're rolling on the table and the table decides how, you get home if you get home. The table is not your friend, right? And so usually they will hustle and try to figure out, okay, now we need to get out of here, right? And and if they have a map, we kind of we just kind of walk through walking back. Yeah. And as yeah, long yeah. as they have a clear path back, right, um, it's fine. But if they left something open, right, they may have to engage with that on the way out. But as long as you make it out the dungeon, then I hand wave the trip back to town yep. and we're good. You just got to get out of the dungeon. 
So the question I was going to ask is, given my understanding of what a, a mega dungeon is, and again, this is not like my jam, so this is coming from the outside perspective, is there like a fast travel option to get you deeper into places than normally your 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 your, your movement tempo would allow? Because we're working with physical maps here, not working with theater of the mind stuff, right? Can yeah, you yeah. Like pick well, up where you left off, or how does it's it pretty theater of the mind in that I don't really. I only use like a whiteboard to sketch out things if they're tactically important. But we're not like mapping by the five inch, five foot square. It's um, cave, okay. it's colossal cave style, node to node mapping. If people need to do that, um, right? Um, but there, is, there are within the dungeon there are some fast travel options that people haven't discovered yet. Uh, to and from the longer stuff is um, it's just hand it's just hand waving. Oh, like for instance. If you're if you've gotten to level three before in the dungeon, and then you get out and you put together another expedition, and nobody else on that expedition has been to level three, but you have, you can say we're going back to that spot on level three, and you make one roll to get there back to that spot. And if that it, it, the roll is called a set out roll, and in Freebooters it determines whether you have any encounters along the way. Oh, fun! Um, this is actually programmed into your game then. Yeah, so you can sort of cover any span of any distance with this one role, as long as you've, you've already gone there at least once. Right. Um, so that's one way to kind of like get people cause the dungeon's vast and, and obviously you don't want to go through every goddamn thing on every <laughs> single time to go through the same stuff. So if at least one person has been there, um, you make that role and maybe you have one encounter on the way, maybe you don't, and then you can jump right back to where you had been before. Um, the only, the only difference is if there are new players, I'll just sort of narrate them through what they see on the way there. You know, I'll describe what they see in passing. But, um, so the fast travel option is like more of a, it's a, it's an editing thing more than an actual like scroll, um, scroll of portal or whatever. Right. Right. Do you, um, I have a follow up. Um, uh, do you ever like designate sections of the map as cleared as like safe, come and go as you wish, sit up shop down there, whatever you want to do, camp deeper or whatever. Is that a thing you do? Yeah, yeah. If you've gone there, especially if you've mapped it, there's there's like um, in freebooters, there's a place can be perilous, dangerous, unsafe, or safe. Mm. Oh, sure. So the, mm-hmm. the more you've mapped it out, the kind of safer a place gets. Um, and so if it's safe, you, you know, you, like that set out rule more than likely is going to just be clear, free and clear and you'll be able to get back to where you were. But yeah, people, um, we haven't gotten to the point yet where things would necessarily repopulate. Um, but that will that will happen. Like um, as time goes by, uh, it's only been I think um, like uh, ten days of in-game time so far, and the fifth expedition is tonight. So each expedition is only taking two days on the campaign calendar. Um, but over time, you know, if you do clear an area, there is a chance that things will kind of come back in, and and there are factions within the dungeon that will respond to what the characters do. So it's not it's not a done deal that every single time you go back to level three. Um, you're going to get there unobstructed. There might be stuff that crops up. Yeah. Living world. That's the ideal. For me. <laughs> right? Like how, how can you keep it feeling uh, evolving and uh, like, like well, you've got a fair amount of stars without number in the faction game, right? Right. You played around with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that kind of thing is super appealing to me. And um, it's not that it's not as involved as stars without number, but Stuff happening between sessions and behind the scenes is all um, important. And do you feel like the players like get to enjoy some of that experience and, and, and content? Or is this mostly just kind of like the GM's toy to stay engaged and kind of mentally invested in the stuff going on? In the last campaign, a, a lot of it was very much um, changing the... Um, 
the landscape and what they thought was possible. And parties, groups would make entirely different decisions based on what they observed happening in the world around them. And the stuff that happened in the world around them was largely due to their own actions. So um, in between sessions, I might make some dice rolls to see what happens to this or that faction and what actions they would take. And then either in the discord or in the session, I'd say, okay, this is, this is how things have changed. And then they might adjust depending on in that last game, it led to a revolution against the empire. And they, the, the, the hometown that every adventuring party knows classically became like a, a bastion of rebellion and they, you know, fought wow. back against the powers that be. And I didn't, I was expecting, let's go out and discourse of dungeons. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I was like, okay, we're going to go, it's going to be so fun and old fashioned and we're going to go to dungeons. But instead it was like, you know, fight back against the fascists, which I do not mind. <clears throat> nice. I think that's the, uh, appeal for me. That's the magic for me is with a regular table, right? You don't know, Really, you, if they're your friends, you have an idea where they might go, but they surprise you, right? With a group of 30, 40 people, right? That surprise is kind of on steroids, right? I have <laughs> no idea where this... And the things they latch on to as cliques or uh, subgroups, it is bizarre, and I'm fascinated by that. And so uh, I'm... I'm that, the emergent aspect is the number one thing that is so exciting to me like right you know you got your playing field here's all the props here's the, the stage is set what the fuck are you guys going to do <laughs> right right and i That's can't wild. wait to find out because it's going to be no matter what it's not going to be what i expected right um and and invariably it ends up being just super um fun and interesting and um uh you know you end up it's just like it's just like that roll of the dice where you you want to, where, where is it going to point? What's, which direction is that going to point and where is it going to take us? And that's, that's the real, that's the real joy for me in the whole thing. It does sound a lot like a campaign generation tool, but instead of tables and factions and like kind of third party, third person procedures, it's all kind of organically produced by the participants that are, that's very cool. And then all the random interactions of those people, whenever they log in and right. whoever they like connect with, they don't connect with. And exactly. Maybe you like are the kind of player who wants to go and make friends with new people. And so like in yep. character, you expand that kind of into messing with folks in the discord and talking to people you don't normally talk to, or you, or you're very insular and you stick to the people you already know. And yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly the way things went last time I did it. And they're going that way now. Um, I can't reveal too much because Jay's a player in the game, but yeah. there was an expedition uh. that managed to <laughs> somehow acquire some significant booty and they have purchased a large piece of real estate and opened an adventurer's guild in town. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they created a safe haven um, for other PCs. Like this is by session four this happened. So now all of a sudden, you know, I have this whole thing where like, when you do downtime, you have to roll dice to see how safe your downtime is. And you have to pay a little bit of upkeep, blah, blah, blah. And they went and just bought this building. And now people can go ahead and camp out there if they want to. Uh, it's just so great. Like that that's what's happened completely unexpectedly, which is super. Cause I mean, when I said it, I imagined like, okay, maybe people will gather information and share it. If they wanted to, they could like charge money for the information if it's good. And we'll see mm-hmm. what, you know, we'll see what grows out of that. But, but I did not anticipate like a, a free adventurer's guild essentially to kind of like pop up <laughs> and, a, and very generous uh, patrons, you know, looking to support other adventurers as they set out. So that's a pretty awesome development. Okay. So I am well outside kind of 
the the DD slash although I'm running Trophy Gold right now and I'm doing the old Kaldor mega dungeon they have mm-hmm. in there. And I'm already running into some of my own kind of aesthetic limitations to that idea, right? And there's even less like content that happens outside of the incursion, call them incursions and trophy, right? Or an expedition in our new world, right? Um, so as like a dyed in the wool, diehard indie gamer guy who loves his meaningful ethical interactions and my <laughs> narrative through lines and my emotional arcs, right? If I showed up in your thing, what's on offer for me or do I need to reset my own expectations and like get over myself? I think it's a different different kind of through line, but the through line does exist. It's just attenuated and, you know, you play an expedition and then let's say best, most frequent case, two expeditions later, you're back in, maybe with an entirely different set of characters. Your your character will have had their experience and that, and then you've got this new set you've got to interact with. And then the Discord, there may be some relationships developing there. So it's a much more um, slowed down um, drama definitely happens and unfolds. And uh, last the last campaign, um, there was like a lot of NPCs became super well loved and um, romances bloomed and and then in that case it turned into this revolt against the empire. So there was totally a dramatic kind of arc there. And um, here, yeah, definitely by design, it's much more. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, episodic and um, so it's it's almost like somewhere between a one shot and a and a through line campaign right mm-hmm. because you're gonna and that's what makes it unique that's what makes it this really this thing can only happen in role-playing games it can only happen um in this kind of a structured campaign where you're getting tons of interactions with other pcs and other players they're just not always the same set so um it's a different totally a different it's a different kind of narrative experience but it's still there there's still a kind of um there's something that grows there's something mm-hmm. that um and there's definitely within a given session, there's some emotional, um, there's emotional arcs and satisfaction. Um, in Jay's session, there was this amazing moment where they defeated some foes, and Jay's character asked if there were any of his anybody with his last name among the group. And then one of the we made a reaction roll, and one of them sort of spat on the ground and insulted <laughs> insulted his family. And then you one did. of the, one of the other PCs like impaled that person who insulted Jay's family. So all of a sudden there was this weird relationship between <laughs> between this halfling magician and this spear-wielding warrior. And that, you know, that that may develop over time. So it's it's um it doesn't have of course it's not going to have the kind of dramatic tightness of something like a um like a three shot or you know mm-hmm. um something mm-hmm. that um Freebooters is a PBTA game, but not a PBTA it's not like but the, the genre being emulated is old school D&D. It's not like, right. you know, um, action cinema or whatever, right? It's not like a, um, a fictional genre. It's a, it's a game genre that's being right. emulated. Right. Um, so, uh, I don't know if that would be a pitch, <laughs> but those are the, those are the things that are, there are, there are aspects of what you like in a game in there. They're just, they take a different form and they'll, they'll sort of shape the experience differently. Sure. Sure. Now does your system, Freebooters on the Frontier have like 
tools on hand because that was one of my favorite slash least favorite things about like from BX on that entire OSR kind of tradition is the, the emphasis on player skill and the specific absence of specific kinds of rules, right? Like we ran, um, uh, we ran uh, Godbound, one of Crawford's other games. And in Godbound, you are playing a Pantheon. And if you have a disagreement, the game says, work it out or you're not a Pantheon anymore, right? Just work it out. <laughs> Because there's no role, there's no duel of right. wits, there's no right. move right. to make. It's like work it out. But then that's like intro- introducing slash welcoming player acrimony, which can be powerful, can be very effective and feel very energizing, unless the players aren't like kind of on the same emotional level and starts to bleed over into the, the table dynamic and it gets weird, right? So right. in your game for that kind of drama, have you left it kind of OSRE? Or have you kind of brought in some procedures and some guardrails to keep the game healthy? Um, I guess to the player skill question, it's um, it's kind of it asks you to be to play a role. So, and everybody does have an intelligence and a wisdom score. So, you are sort of the game does ask you to sort of play that character and not to be the super smart person that you are um, as you're trying to problem solve the you know the pit trap or whatever. So I'm in that area. Um, Freebooters does fall. It falls away from the classic OSR player skill first kind of thing. As far as like uh, interaction between the players, um, that is largely up to them. Um, so far, there's nothing in the rules that's about like, you know, there, there was, there's, there's some guidance about like player agency and not fucking up anybody else's experience. Um, and as a GM, that's something I try to be conscious of. Um, and in fact, in, again, in Jay's session, somebody wanted to hinder somebody else's move. Um, and I said, whoa, okay, well, let's check in with that person. Right. And say and make sure it's okay with them if you hinder them. And, you know, I just wanted to know there's that whole question. So that's more like a best practice than a rule. That's the best. Exactly. That was the best practice thing. Built into the rules, there's no, there's a negotiate move where you can work stuff out, but that applies, it applies strictly to non-player characters, not to other players. So, um, and then the other one that's related is the keep company move where hmm. two characters will have an interaction that could potentially build a bond between them. Um, and that one... Um, sort of dramatically frames or narratively frames uh, two characters connecting or not connecting, but the rule. So in that sense, the rule kind of guides how the conversation goes, right? Like you, you could try to have a bonding conversation and the result of the role will say, well, that didn't turn out so well, but then I it, written into that rule, it says between the two of you who are trying to do this, why do you think it doesn't go so well? Like you get to sort of describe why this conversation went poorly and what needs to happen for you guys to try again to get closer in the future. Um, but beyond that, there's no, um, there's no kind of mechanical. Well, that's pretty good. I mean, if you have a, uh, if you have a procedure for bonding and you have a lack of procedure for breaking those bonds, that seems to me like the game would be promoting more bonding and kind of s- soft downplaying the acrimony side. Now, Jay, as a player in this, Mm-hmm. Have you run to the point where you feel that difference? There's a system for this, for making friends, but there's not a system for fighting your enemies. Has that come up like within the PC to PC kind of interactions? I would say no. What I have seen, though, and I liked how it turned out, 
But I think that's more about the group of folks that we're playing with. And in my expedition, I don't personally know the other players, uh, but they're playing at a high level of, of, we talked about table trust, right? At cons, you have to go in if you're running the game, assuming you have zero trust at this table, because I don't know these folks, right? Uh, but at home, I can assume a, a higher degree of trust, right? I would say looking back, my first expedition, I would probably put that group at a higher level of trust than I would uh, an open con game, right? There's a moment we're coming down the mountain, we have a, uh, a prisoner, and uh, mm. my uh, the Vatazzi? Uh, Vatazzi, yeah. Yeah, brought up the option. I think the prisoner said all that they're going to say. They could have an accident coming down this mountain, right? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> right. Uh, I looked over my, we have alignment. I looked over my stats and I'm like, eh, whatever. You know, I don't, you know, we're coming back. I got all the stuff I want to do. Um, and that's not graphic enough. So it doesn't trigger anything for me, but there is another player who has an alignment. I think that is good. good and, yeah. Right. And that individual was like, wait a minute. Right. Cause I have this and then I have these other two conflicting traits. And then at a player level, right. They had a discussion about that. Uh, and the player for uh, the Vitazzi uh, backed away from that, uh, and we kind of retcon that whole thing. Um, that is what I like when there aren't rules for that kind of thing, right? Those two people worked it out, and for them, my, my impression was the play experience was more important than um, trying to resolve this mechanically. But there's like a high wire act to that, isn't there? And it yeah. relies on trust, but it also rewards the trust that you've extended. It's right. kind of a prisoner's dilemma thing, right? If we both right. stick mm-hmm. to the story, mm-hmm. we're both going to benefit. But right. that's really interesting. Bringing back to the art and role thing, and we're kind of closing in the one hour mark here. Yeah. Um, your last big West Marches thing, how long did that last? How many months of play was that? Um, it was almost exactly a year in game time and in real time. I think the last one I wrapped up because like there was a narrative kind of the, they were revolting against the empire and the empire was, they succeeded in freeing this town and the empire was descending on them. And it was a great time to cut. Like, we don't know how, that, how that's going to turn out. Right. Oh, nice. nice. And also that coincided with me. I wouldn't call it burnout, but I was sort of like starting to look for the next thing, you know, how it goes like, mm-hmm. what's the next thing. Unfortunately, the next thing is the same goddamn rules, <laughs> rules that I'm all too familiar with now. Um, I'd love to play some other kinds of games, but uh, um, for this one, because it's much less, or at least so far, I'm not seeing it having that same kind of overarching narrative develop that it's going to be much more episodic. I, I mean, at least I'm, I'm going to put in at least a year. That's my commitment right now. Um, and then we'll see how I feel in a year and how the players feel in a year. Um, Cause it's such a huge place. And I think yeah, yeah. people are want to get the key for me is like getting some degree of satisfaction out of the overall experience. So there are many, many mysteries to be revealed and kind of connections to make and secrets. Um, and if um, it, I, I think that the end of it will be a combination of me feeling like I've kind of run out of steam and a degree of satisfaction on the part of the players in terms of what they've uncovered in the, in the place, you know, and the world was collaboratively built with them. So there's a kind of investment and understanding throughout that, that this game just doesn't have. Yeah. Mystery, mystery box is a great, or whatever you describe a legacy game is a great way to describe it. And for me too, cause I don't know what's on level five. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
I haven't, right, right. I'm only reading, I'm reading like the big picture history stuff. And then I'm like reading, you know, a section of a level that I know people might go to. So I don't even know what everything that's in there yet. So that's part of what keeps me kind of interested. Right, right. I agree. I agree. Yeah. It'll be interesting if you continue, if you and your players continue to feel invested in the discovery part of the game, or if you still need that kind of narrative meaningfulness. Or maybe they'll just make their own meanings. Yeah, that, and that was a big concern going in for me. I'm like, I was like, well, there's not as much buy-in at the outset because it's a pre-written world. It's kind of a very much like old school D and D kind of. It has all the kind of kind of cheesiness and gonzoness of old school D and D. And I'm right, I like right. to run stuff kind of gritty and realistic is more my speed. So I was worried that like it wouldn't stick. Like it wouldn't have that. It wouldn't give you enough to like uh, to really get a hold of. Um, but it, it turns out that when you have awesome players, like everything is there to be grabbed onto and right. they've, they've turned it into a thing that I really care about, even though it's still super episodic. And, um, so I think it's that the last thing you mentioned, Paul, I think it's that it's that uh, they've, they're, they're giving it meaning basically, um, meaning that's, that's not there, but they're finding, um, they're, they're adding to it for sure. Like, the, some some characters last expedition ran into a wyvern by accident. It was a random encounter, and they found it nesting. And they tried to interact with it, and the bard tried to charm it, and um, they didn't. They all survived fine. They got by. <laughs> but now, in between sessions, one of them is like, "I'm doing. I want to research as much as I can about wyverns and learn all about them." And the other the other one is um, doing all kinds of research about various other clues that they encountered. So they're kind of digging into the setting and trying to like learn stuff about it. Um, so they, it's it's very clear that they're already kind of invested in like these little tiny slices of this this world, which is great to see. Yes. Which I had nothing to do with, right? Right, <laughs> like, right, yeah, no. Like that stuff's out there. They see it. They choose to pursue it. And my job is to just kind of like fill in the details as they to make it more higher resolution the closer they get. Thanks both of you uh, for doing this. This was fantastic. Like I said. Uh, it seems like West Marches is hot right now, at least where, where I'm standing. And uh, I wanted to uh, have this conversation because uh, I thought it was worthwhile. So thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Great to talk to both of you. A pleasure. See you again. I'll see you both at, uh, at the uh, Indie Game Reading Con here in a couple months. Yeah. Yes. Roll in. Nice. Definitely. Yes. I don't know if I can actually ever see Jay again, guys. I've got Big Bad Con next week, hopefully. So yeah. uh, I will be out there for that. And then hopefully it's uh, it's uh, uh, all good from there on out. So, Are you running any big game right now, Jay? Uh, I'm not. I'm about to start up Legacy. Um, I'm going to run 12 <laughs> sessions of Legacy. Um, Featuring the Order of the Titan, because uh, that's such a heavyweight. Whoever picks that, right? There's, it's like Apocalypse World. Certain playbooks kind of uh, drag the whole game a certain way, it, and so my thought is, let's just grab that one, and everyone else is kind of second fiddle to that one. More importantly, though, this is my workout for. I want to take Ars Magica and mash it up with Legacy, oh. right? Uh, Yes, but families are mages, not not families, right? Because mages in Ars, Ars Magica 
they're usually working on how to live forever, right? Immortality <laughs> stuff, right? Uh, everyone else is some subset of that. So if there's a generational turn, that has something to do with the mage level of play, right? But I want to get a good 10 to 12 sessions in of regular rules as written play so I understand and have a feel for if that's a thing I should be doing or not. Wow, cool. So, but don't tell so anybody that, that that's a secret. That, that, that's the long term, yeah. Yeah, so like I say, you, you better have like mechanically invested players who yeah. actually read the fucking right. rules and don't cry and complain. It's right. so abstract, right. it's so board gamey. Yeah. There's all these kind of meta currencies you're shuffling around, the high yeah. level yeah. things. You drop in, it's an RPG. It's a pretty good one. She's got like some of the best fighty kind of moves in the world. I love them, they're great. But like the high level, the legacy level is very like kind of board game and <laughs> this trust spend on this effect and, right. and it's all like I just want to do the effect. How do I get there? Well, you got to go through these like three steps, and the player's like fucking steps, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> this is the Hotel California table, which is the opposite of the open. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Hotel California table. <laughs> I got to steal that. That's nice. It's a, it's a good uh, dysfunctional home table. It unfortunately, it's kind of our home table experience sometimes. Get people checked out. They're not leaving. I'm like, dude. <laughs> does that make you the beast? It does. Everyone's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, wow. I saw that. It's really high. And I saw that dude. It's the devil. It's the devil. <laughs> nice. All right, you folks enjoy the rest of your afternoon. I'm going to hit the stop button. Yeah, all right. That's my show. Thanks for listening. Send your comments, questions about this episode to me. I'm on Patreon at MadJZero, all letters. Or send it to Twitter at GoDiceology. And you know, subscribe, rate, and like. Let's make this our regular thing.